The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah 23, 16 through 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophet who prophesies to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions on their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you, and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear the word? Or who has paid attention to the word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of the heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can I hide man himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesied lies, and who prophesied the deceit in their own heart, who think to make my God forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has dreamed tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? It is not word like fire, declares the Lord. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading from Hebrews 7, uh, 11, 17 through 31, and 12, 1 through 3. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who has received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was. Through Isaac shall the offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing and worshiping over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of Exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Mo Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and that they were not afraid of the king's etiquette. By faith, Moses, when he has grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn not, might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if it was on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had encircled for seven days. 
By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the, by the spies. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that has set before him endured on the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who dirt from sinners who such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the twelfth chapter. We be to thee, O Lord. This is the primary text for today's sermon. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be richly multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Over these past weeks on Sunday, you've heard of people coming to Jesus overly concerned with things of this life. And Jesus has been teaching them to set their minds on things above, exactly what St. Paul declared in a couple of Sundays ago in his letter to the Colossians. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. And so, rather than demanding an inheritance that be given to you, you share with those in need and remember that you have an inheritance in heaven which, as St. Peter says, can never spoil, fade, or perish. It's kept there. It's safe for you in Jesus. And instead of being anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear, you remember that you have a Father in Heaven who takes care of the birds and the flowers, and He's going to take care of you. So Jesus says, trust in Him. Rely on Him. He will take care of you. Don't let your hearts and minds be preoccupied with the concerns of this life. You see, 
The thing the devil, the world, and our sinful self want to do is they want to make our world smaller and smaller. To focus on the stuff immediately around us and be obsessed with this thing, the here and now, with this one problem, for this one thing. And then what happens, it grows and it mushrooms, doesn't it? Because it preoccupies our mind, our thinking, and even our sleeping. But what does Jesus do? He expands our horizons. He says to you and to me, what you're focusing on, that's not that important. The stuff of the here and now, that's going to pass away. And that thing you can't stop thinking about, what you're worrying about, your Father in heaven can take care of it. He can handle it. So Jesus is saying, think big, not small. The Lord of all time from the beginning in hand, he's in control. He's over all things. The Lord is with you and with your time. And as Peter would later say, cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. But then in our lesson for today, when we come to it, it seems to speak some troubling words. Wow. You know, a presidential campaign is already rolling, and you're going to hear all kinds of sound bites, things being said. And can you imagine when Jesus said what he said, I haven't come to bring peace on, the wor on this world, but division. Can you imagine all the mems and the sound bites that went out about it? And so what's fascinating with this world, and even fascinating with us at times, is we like a Jesus that speaks out of two sides of his mouth. So we like some things, and we don't like other things. And you see it here. And so some people say, ah, oh, this Jesus, he's a troublemaker. He said, I have come to divide families. This guy's a home wrecker. And then they say, do you really want him to be your God? Is he really the Savior? He says he is. But you have to understand, and I have to understand, what Jesus is doing here. He's expanding our sight and our horizons. He's not against families. And he doesn't want our family or loved ones to become idols either, which sometimes happens, maybe more often than we think. That father or mother, sons or daughter, or even boyfriends and girlfriends, are they take a place before God. And that we seek to please them more than God. And what they want determines what we do. Or that we're more afraid about what they're going to think about us than what God's assessment about us is. Now, if that's the case, you know what they have become? Idols. They become our gods. They're more important than God. Because Luther points out in the first commandment and the explanation, what does it mean to say you shall have no other gods? He says we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And when we're not doing that, that is not good. But then to say it again, clearly, 
Jesus is not anti-family. God is not anti-family. God created family. It was God who created family in the garden when he made the man, and then from his side he made the woman. That was God creating marriage and telling them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Words that bring about the very thing that God has said. And God promises Abraham a family, even though his wife can't have children. And what happens? They have a child. And then God protects them in many dangers, preserving them. In fact, at least three commandments deal with the family. The fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. That what we are to do is take a look upon marriage as something sacred that's given by God and that we are not to have any kind of untoward sexual desires. And then there's the tenth commandment. We are not to covet our neighbor's wife or his manservant, maidservants, cattle, or things that belong to them. And then remember Jesus himself. He honored his parents. He submitted to their authority. And then when he in, began to be engaged in his public ministry, remember how he brought hope, healing, and resurrection to families and raised children from the dead, Jairus's daughter and the widow of Nain's son. And then remember when people were bringing children to Jesus that he would bless them, the disciples tried to shoo them away. No, Jesus welcomed those children and he blessed them. And when you go and read the Bible, throughout the Bible, there is tremendous concern for widows and orphans, those without family, always singled out for special care and protection. God is not anti-family. But look what's happening, Jesus says. Look at the storm crowds that are gathering on the horizon. And Jesus is talking to everybody there not just the religious leaders. He's talking to everybody. And he says, you know how to interpret the signs of nature. You know that when clouds show up in the West, and this is true here in Michigan, and also is true in Israel, you know that rain is coming. And I heard that it may happen before Bible class is over this morning. And the same thing for us as in Israel. If there's a south wind blowing, you know there's going to be warm weather. But in Israel, it's going to be hot, hot, dry weather. And then think of all the advances we have with the weathermen, although so often, how can you be wrong so often and still get paid? But, even as we've advanced with technology and new insights, the storm clouds of sin, death, false belief, and idolatry are not seen. The obsession with the things of this world, 
with our possessions, with our sports, with our technology. Faces buried in screens, whether they be on a handheld device or on a wall. Our obsession with tolerating all beliefs, true or false, as equally valid. Our obsession with sexual freedom turned into sexual perversion. Our obsession with we and me, our even smaller and smaller focus on me, what I want, what I desire, what I can get. Me, me, me. Can you see the signs? That's what Jesus is saying. Can you see what's going on? You can look at the sky and say what the weather is coming. Do you know what's happening in this world? And so, you know what's going on? Just like in Jeremiah's day, there's a whole bunch of false prophets crying out peace. All's well. Just follow your heart. You're going to follow something of what the Bible says the heart is like? Follow the heart that's desperately wicked? Is that what you're going to follow? Hardly. No, disaster will come upon you if you do. It's not all good. And God says through the prophet Jeremiah, am I a God at hand and not a God far off? In other words, this small God, he doesn't see all the other stuff that's going on. And then sin making us smaller and smaller, turning us inward and more self-centered and self-focused. But God and his word, as we heard today, would reverse that, would break us out of this ever-shrinking, self-destructive black hole of sin to see bigger again. And so God says, his word is like a hammer that crushes our mindset. He's bringing fire on earth to burn those sinful impurities out of us. He's going to divide us from our sin and death in order to unite us with himself. And all this which may be quite painful. And if you ever whacked your thumbnail or thumb with a hammer, or you've ever burned yourself, you know what I'm talking about. But if we just would look up for a moment and look out for a moment and see the signs, the ominous storm of sin, of sin increasing and getting deeper and more entrenched in our lives and in our world, we would know how much we need an intervention. And our loving God will do nothing less. He does intervene. So, he doesn't just crush. He crushes in order that he might build. He just doesn't divide. He divides in order that we may be united. He doesn't just torch things. He sends fire to purify. And he convicts in order to forgive. And why does he do that? He does that to break you and me out of our small, self-centered and self-obsessed world, to
to see something bigger, something greater, something more wonderful. A world greater than your life, a life beyond this life, and a family greater than you can imagine, a family of faith into which you've been born again through the water and the Spirit, a family of faith that includes the, uh, that includes the folks we heard about in Hebrews. And if we'd have had the longer Hebrews reading today, we'd have heard a whole listing of them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moab, Rahab, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Samson, David, and Samuel, and even more. And Jesus' opponents, the Pharisees and Sadducees, often relied on the fact that they were physically descended from Abraham. That was their assurance they were going to be okay with God. Well, for Jesus, that kind of a family needs dividing so that they would not wrongly identify with that family, but the family of faith the family by which they confess their sins before God their Father and receiving the words of absolution, their sins are forgiven, they're born again into that family. And that includes you. He did what was needed and required. The Son of God came to be crushed with the hammer of the law because of your sin and mine to build a church with himself as the cornerstone and you and me, the living stones, placed on top of that cornerstone. He came to suffer the fire of God's wrath against our sin and now that fire comes to purify us, not destroy us. He came to be divided from his Father on the cross, forsaken for you, for me, so that we might be united back again in the unity we were created to have with God. Folks, look up. Look up to what God is doing. And he says, look away from your possessions, from your small, small world, and see what God's giving you for you. See that so you repent that you've been so obsessed and enamored with so much less, this little stuff, and receive his forgiveness and Holy Spirit by the eyes of faith and receive his mercy and compassion and love. And you know what else? New life in Jesus. But don't stop there. Look up and see your neighbor. You know the one you've maybe been throwing stones at figuratively or torching with burning words and dividing him, yourself from him or her. Why? Why would you do that? Don't you see the signs? The storms of sin, our dying world, our dying lives. Are you dying for this when Jesus died for you? Really? No. Heed the words of the writer to the Hebrews. Since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these folks that began with Abel 
through a bunch of unnamed thing and people listed at the end of the book of Hebrews, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, he says. He's the pioneer. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who for the joy that was set before him. And listen what he did. Who endured the cross, despising his shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. Yes, brothers and sisters, looking to Jesus, not at your stuff, your possessions, not that small stuff, but looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus who lived and died for you, looking to Jesus who has come for you and given you new life, looking to Jesus who's seated at the right hand and rules over everything for us, his church, looking to Jesus who is here for you with his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you see this big picture, the small stuff goes back and you see it in a proper way. Don't you? Because you have Jesus who's been fixed on you and your salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.